Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I want to explain a little bit about Ken and Jess and how they came to be here. One of the things you might know and you've heard us say several times before is that when we approach missions at NC4, we do, th- we do so through a relational approach. So we, rather than sending out to a lot of different agencies and missionaries that we don't know just because we're supporting a good cause, we really look for those who we know, who we've had fellowship with, and who we are connected to. In that way, we, we feel like that way we can give more to less and really feel purposeful for those whom we are called to serve with. And so to that end, I want to introduce how did Ken get here? How did, how did Jess get here? Well, many of you might know Bob Misiak, and over 20-some years ago, I don't have the exact number, Bob partnered with NC4 and networked with GN to plant a church in the Poconos as an associating church. I guess you could call it a sister church. And so we maintained a relationship with Bob and LVCC, or Lord's Valley Community Church, as a partner church in what is now One Focus Network. And so we're kind of connected with them. So enter Ken. Ken is Bob's son, all right? And so now I have to say, I've only met Ken and Jess one time before, and, and, and we set this up, but I feel kind of connected. We are, just like Daniel and I, both pastor's kids, a missionary kid, teachers, and so, and we've also been to Nairobi and served there as well. So I think we're going to be taking that out to lunch. I don't think we're going to have a, a shortage of conversation. So that's great. Um, so I look forward to that. So yeah, so they met with us a few years ago. And when they met with us, you know, we sat down, we talked about his calling on the, his life as a missionary with Jessica. And at that time, it was just one child, right? We went out to eat, we sat down and we inked out a deal. No, I'm kidding. We did not ink out a deal. <laughs> That's not how it works. We took that back. We prayed, the elders met, the mission board, and we really felt, okay, like this is a relationship that we really feel called to pursue and partner with. And so while the initial relationship started with Bob, and he was instrumental in establishing kind of a foundational basis to support them, we now shift that relationship to Ken and Jess and our need to develop and grow this relationship and the work they're doing. So today is a means to that end, and we're really eager to have them here to share and to grow this relationship. So, Ken. Thank you so much, Eric. Like you said, my name is Ken Mishak, and it's just such an honor to be here with you this morning to worship and praise our God, and to share with you just a snapshot of what God is doing in East and Central Africa. And we just, we're just so thankful for your partnership with us and this opportunity to share. And it's so good to see so many familiar faces and even some family members here as well. So for those of you who don't know our kids, though, let me go ahead and introduce our family to you. So my wife is Jessica. She is a teacher and involved also in missionary housing. I work as a pilot, missionary pilot, and a safety manager for AMAIR. Our kids are Isaac, who is six, Chloe, who is three, and Naomi will be one next week. But we live in Nairobi, Kenya, and we've been there since March of 2020. And we're just here back in the U.S. right now for two months over Isaac's school break so that we can visit supporters and family members and then just raise a little bit more extra financial support due to cost of living increase and inflation. But we're going to be traveling from Pennsylvania all the way down to Florida. And then I just wanted to share with you briefly my call into missions. It all started when I was a young kid. Both of my parents are in the x-ray field. My dad is bivocational, so he is a pastor as well as an x-ray professor, now retired. Uh, they had a chance to go to Gabon to set up some new x-ray equipment. And so I was able to be there for about three months as a kid. And so that just first opened up my worldview to a lot more than rural Pennsylvania. And so then I got interested in aviation through an organization called Civil Air Patrol. And I just loved working with my hands. And so I found a Christian school that offered a mission aviation track down in Texas called Laterno University. So there I got all of my flight ratings, my mechanics license, as well as Bible courses. And then after school, I worked for a company that had me working in a lot of closed and restricted access countries. And so my heart continued to be burdened for people groups that just didn't have access to the gospel. As far as my wife, Jessica, she grew up as a missionary kid in South Africa in Lesotho. 
Her parents are with Campus Crusade for Christ, and they actually still live and work there. But it wasn't really, I'm sorry, it wasn't until the age of 12 that God called her into missions. She moved back to the States at 10, and then God put a passion on her life for using education in ministry. So let me introduce to you a little bit about AIM Air. So AIM Air is part of Africa Inland Mission, whose goal is to see Christ-centered churches established and thriving among all African people groups. The airplanes we fly are just tools, so it's moving missionaries, pastors, and cargo over some of the world's most inhospitable terrain. And the purpose is to bring the gospel to unreached people groups across East and Central Africa. So in Africa, there's still over, there, are, there are over 2,000 languages and 900 people groups that are still considered unreached, that have no viable witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ, and there's hundreds of millions of people that are behind political, geographical, and religious barriers. And I just want you to let that sit in for a second and think about that. Imagine in your city if there wasn't any churches. And not any churches, but no Christians, no Bibles, and no access even to Christ. In fact, you might even be stoned or thrown out of your community if you're remotely associated with Christianity. So in this day and age, it's, it's hard to believe, you know, with the Starlink satellite internet and the technology we have today, that there's still people out there that have never heard the gospel before. I think we're all familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. When I step off out of the airplane, I often feel like I'm transported back 2,000 years when we land at a bush strip out in the middle of nowhere. And the areas we fly into often don't have even the most basic items. There is no internet, there's no Bibles, often there's no churches, and they just have limited access to Christ. And so this verse in Romans 10 really hits home on a daily basis for us. And it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so the Great Commission in this verse in Romans really shows that we're all called to be part of mission work. You know, many of us will serve in different ways, whether that it's being called to leave your home and go overseas, or if you're the ones that are to pray and send others. And we just love the fact that we're able to use our technical skills to bring the gospel to those who have never heard. And we're really thankful for NC4 partnering with us to helping to send us. Jumping back a little bit to the history of Africa Inland Mission, or AIM for short, it was founded in 1895. And we have a map that's up there that shows you where we currently work. We've got several different regions, but we do ministry in a lot of different ways, whether that's through theological education or a boarding school for missionary kids, or helping run a hospital, or just church planning teams. And you can see in the north, we also have creative access teams. We don't list the countries specifically, and that's just for security reasons. And then AIM Air, it's founded in 1975, so almost 50 years old. It's a department of Africa Inland Mission under their Africa-based support. So all that means is we support missionaries with a lot of different services, such as IT, finances, counseling, and then transportation and logistics. For AIM Air, we don't fly to all of the countries that are listed here, but we focus on Kenya, Uganda, Sudan, Central African Republic, and the Congo. But we've also flown to other places that aren't highlighted on the map, like Malawi and Zambia as well. So it's really wherever people need us to fly to. I'll just introduce you to the AIM Air team, though. We have a base in Nairobi, Kenya, and then Arua, Uganda, as well. And this picture only shows about almost half the team, about 28 people. 
But we have around 41 people, and it's composed of both missionary staff and local Kenyan and Ugandan staff as well. But we have people from America, Canada, Kenya, Uganda, Switzerland, and China. And so we are basically a small private charter airline who only flies for the African church. You have to be partnered with the African church uh, in one way. So we won't just fly for anyone. So our, our mission and our focus is just the African church. But we're held to the same standards as any larger airline is. So we have people that are involved with maintenance, pilots, logistics, line service, avionics, finance. I mean, all the different types of positions there. But we have six aircraft. We have three larger Cessna caravans and then three smaller Cessna 206s. We don't just fly for Western missionaries. And our focus is really shifting to better support the local pastors and the African-led church movement. So like I said before, we fly for anyone that's supporting the African church. So that has to be an approved organization. And I'll talk about some of those ministry partnerships here in a little bit. But as you saw in this video, one phone call is really all it takes. Emergency services in much of Africa is very limited. And evacuations can be for various reasons, whether that's medical, political instability, or conflict. If you've been following the news at all with, with Africa and what's been going on in Sudan, we recently evacuated three missionaries from Khartoum, and we were able to land in rank in South Sudan and then take them to safety. So that's, uh, we don't like pulling missionaries out from different organizations, but if, it's, if their lives are at risk, we'll go in and we'll try to pull them out and bring them to safety. And then actually, when we first arrived in Kenya, we were on the receiving end of a, a quote-unquote evacuation. We arrived in the midst of COVID, and there was a lot of different restrictions that were going on. There were curfews, and everyone had to wear masks and all of that. But the government of Kenya came out and said, hey, we're locking down all of the city borders. And we were actually in another city outside of Nairobi doing a several weeks stay with a Kenyan family as part of our orientation. And they said, hey, we're locking down the borders. Like, you're not going to be able to leave the city. And there was no timeline, no indication of how long this was going to be going on for. And there were several other missionaries that were in the same situation. And so Amer sent the airplane down, picked up a lot of people, and then we all flew back to Nairobi because of that lockdown. The other thing that was mentioned in the video was staying focused, maximizing ministry time. A lot of Africa doesn't really have very good infrastructure. And I don't know about you guys, but I really don't want to be traveling on the picture of this muddy road. A two-hour flight could save days and days on the road. And so it really saves time, energy, and resources. And there can also be a lot of insecurity on the roads, whether that's from bandits or anything else, cars breaking down. So we're literally often just flying to the end of the road, landing on short dirt runways in the middle of nowhere. The next thing that was mentioned was go the distance, serve longer, and go farther. Part of the, what we do is we just stay with the people that we're flying with. We don't just drop them off and then go back home to Nairobi. We get to participate in the ministry that's going on with whatever group that is. And it's often using our technical skills. And, and so most of us are aircraft mechanics as well, and we have a lot of different training in household repair and so whether that might be helping set up some solar panels or repair a broken down car or doing electrical or plumbing, we stay with the missionary or stay with the station, missionary station, and we're able to help do some of their technical problems so that they can stay focused and serve longer. And it's really an encouragement to these people that we're serving. So let me talk about some of the ministry partnerships that we participate with. We fly for over 50 different Christian organizations. And in 2022, just to give you some numbers, we flew almost 1,600 passengers, about 152,000 pounds of cargo to 134 different locations, which covered 222,000 miles. So we partner with AIM, Africa Inland Mission, like I said before, with church planning and theological education. Other organizations we've flown for is SIM. We do a lot with audio Bibles. Voice of the Martyrs, which I'm going to be sharing with a little bit, whose focus is on the persecuted church. 
We do help fill in for Samaritan's Purse as well. Some of our pilots will fill in for them. And then even organizations like Invisible Children, who have been children that have been abducted, forced to fight, and then returned to their families, as well as schools and orphanages, just to name a couple of those. But I wanted to share a little bit about one of my trips with Voice of the Martyrs, the Central African Republic. In the picture on the left there, you can see um, I'm standing with the military airport security, which makes it often possible to fly into some of these locations. And then the picture on the right shows a church that was destroyed by a hostile group. And the person standing on the balcony is the son of the pastor who was killed in that church as it was destroyed. You know, my, my heart is just broken being able to walk through that church and to see firsthand the challenges that the Christians faced with and the sacrifices that they make in defense of the gospel. And I am really grateful for the small part that I get to play with serving the African church through AMR for advancing the gospel to these hard-to-reach places and for your support sending us to make this ministry possible. So I have a couple of ways listed here for ways to get connected. We have a Facebook group. It is private, so you'll have to request access to join it. We have our email listed there. We're on Instagram a little bit, as well as sending out regularly, about once a month, newsletters that are sent out. And you can sign up either with this website address or sign up at there. We have a table set up, and you can talk to us after the service. So please get connected. Learn about what we're doing. And then there's different ways that you can partner with us as well. You know, prayer is an essential support, and we wouldn't be able to be encouraged and stay there without a prayer team around us. And we are also financially sent by you as well. Like I mentioned earlier at the beginning, we're needing to raise about $900 of additional monthly support, so be back up at 100%. So if you're interested in supporting us, we'd love to talk to you more about that. And then you can also explore more at aimair.org. And then I think we're going to go into a Q&A and one final picture of one of the runways that we take off from. And as I say in, which is thank you. It's wonderful. Yeah, thanks you, Ken. So why am I awkwardly sitting next to Ken this whole time? It's a good question. We decided to do something a little bit different. We knew we were going to have him kind of update us, kind of give us an overview of the ministry and everything and what they've been doing. But we thought to make this a little more personal today, we'd love to to kind of do an interview kind of format. So I'm going to invite Jessica up as well. And, And this will give us a chance to maybe go a little bit deeper than just what the presentation gave and learn not about what what they do, but just to really truly connect with them and, and with the work you're doing as well. So thanks for being willing to, you know, to do that and, and, and agree with us as we approach that. Now, I will say this, Ian is not here today, and so this was Ian's idea. So if this goes well, Ken and I will take the credit with Jess, and then, but if it, if it flops, we can give Ian an earful when he gets back. So you're welcome, Ian. <laughs> I hope he's watching in Spain right now. So, well, I really appreciate your hearts and all of this. And you know, you talked a little bit about the calling on your lives, um, but could you dig into that a little bit more? You know, like, not just like how that developed in your life, but also when we think of everyone who's here, what advice you might have for anyone else who's maybe just trying to discern their calling that God has put on their lives. So could you speak a little of that? Yeah. Calling on our lives, this is something that, you know, as we've explored our own calling, thought very a lot and dug into scripture and what God's call on our life is, and at its core, at its base in Scripture, our call as Christians is to follow Christ, to be a witness to those around us, and to listen to the heart that He gives us. And that can be many things. And for some of us, that's a call that leads us into full-time ministry, whether that's working in a church, working in a different ministry, or going overseas. It can be take many different forms. And I know that scripture was a big part of my own call and feeling like God was calling me into missions. I had exposure to missions as a missionary kid growing up there, but my sister wasn't called into missions and we shared the same growing up experience. She was called into different work. 
So just listening to scripture, listening to mentors and elders in our lives as they speak into us, even friends, others who are godly and following God can be very important. I know it was mentioned that I have a heart for education and for teaching, and specifically for education and working with other missionary kids or third culture kids, those that have experienced something similar to my own background. But I didn't know that education was what I wanted to do at a young age. I, in high school, I got an opportunity to tutor and work with some of my peers. And I began to hear people say into my life, you're really gifted at this. You're really good at this. You know, you have a heart for this. They knew my heart for this before I did. And it was through their voice speaking into my life and then mulling it over over many years that I realized, no, this is where God is calling me. And so then I went back to school to get my education degree. I didn't do it the first time around. And so as you look and explore what is God's calling on your heart, what has he given you a passion for? What are some experiences that he has given you that give you, give you an understanding and a heart for maybe people who share or go, have gone through something you've gone through? So those are all, I guess, words of wisdom as you look at exploring your calling. But for us in, in ministry or in missions and going overseas, Ken didn't expand on this a lot, but we were both given a heart for Africa. We both had experiences in Africa, and we knew that's the place God had put on our hearts. And that's one of the reasons we went with Africa Inland Mission, was we were guaranteed to work in Africa. And that was just where our ministry and our missions was. And then, like you said, his experience with his work had him going, prior to going into missions, had him going into unreached countries, closed countries. And that's what really gave him a burden for, and us a burden for, unreached people groups, harder to access people. But it was through experiences that we had had and shared, and through talking with others, through talking with other missionaries. Yeah. And then one of the things we actually encourage a lot of people to do, especially if they're having a missional call on their life, would be to test the waters, to go out for a longer short-term try before they commit to years-long of service. Did you do anything like that? Yeah, so we actually, through the same company that I was working for before, we had a chance to go and live in West Africa. And it was for a secular company, but we told them, hey, we're looking at this as business, as missions. And it was run by a lot of Christians, and they were on board for that. And so we celebrated our one-year anniversary, I think, the week after we landed in West Africa. But, you know, it was a sec- for, for a secular company, and so we were there for eight months and just weren't able to get the contracts we needed. And so then they were basically just pulled us home. So we weren't able to get the work we needed. But that gave us an exposure to working in another country to learning how to live life in a way that spoke the gospel to those around us. There was a big language barrier there, so it was harder, and it was also a closed country, so we couldn't be as open as we are in Kenya. And I'd say for me, I also, we both had some childhood experience in missions, but then as an adult, I went on several missions trips, some through my church. With my parents working with Campus Crusade for Christ, we did missions as a family, We spent one summer, a couple of summers, we went to Europe for a few weeks, working on the coast as many North Africans work in Europe. They come through the ports to go back to North Africa on the long holidays in the summer. And so we would be at the ports giving packages of Bibles and audio Bibles for them to take back into North Africa. And so I just remember those experiences and those trips as key in continuing to foster that, yes, this is really where God has called us and called me. So I think the same for Ken. That's great. And we're finally at a year where we're starting to relaunch all of our short-term ships, too. So that's a really good kind of reminder and encouragement for those that not only are going, but also for those who want to support those families who are going and maybe looking at pursuing some of that themselves. So Thank you. So let's get a, a little theological, you know, the, theological here. Can't even say the word. I shouldn't say it. From your perspective, like, what is a missionary? A missionary is someone who is living on mission for Christ and the gospel, who is intentional in how their actions and their words proclaim Christ. We are all, as Christians, called to be missionaries. We're not just special 
because we happen to have the job title of missionaries. You're also a missionary where you are planted. And it is up to you to be intentional about that, to look at your life around you. Who can I proclaim the gospel to? Who can I influence for Christ? What ministry or mission can I be involved in? We have the the calling to do that overseas, and so we get the special title of missionary, but we've lived our entire lives, and especially our married lives, very intentionally, even when we were in the U.S., preparing for the ministry overseas, finding a church, plugging in, being involved, looking for ways to disciple, looking like, even though we knew we were only there short term, part of Ken's flying and trying to prepare for the mission field had us move a lot to fly, find the jobs that got the experience we needed. So even if we knew we were moving somewhere and only planning to be there six months or a year or less, being intentional was always a part of our focus of like plugging into the church, making connections, being a part of people's lives and through discipleship or ministry, even if it's just for a short time. But it's something that definitely we both believe strongly that everyone is called into missions in some way that just looks differently for each person. That's good. Now, I know a lot of us have been on short-term trips before, and I think when you go, it's so easy to feel that sense of calling on your life. It's just clear and, 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 and whatnot. But then when you get back home, you know, it, it, it's a different thing. So to that end... Like, how can we connect that closer to home? Like, would you give any advice to how people can live as missionaries within their own culture? Yeah, own culture. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I really like the way that the university I attended put it, where they said, you, you know, Christians claiming every workplace and every nation as our mission field, professionals of Christ-like character who see life's work as a holy calling with eternal impact. But like Jessica said, you also have to have intentionality behind it. You know, often in the church we hear, oh, we're just going to be a witness by the way we live our life, and people will just see there's something different about us, and that's our witness. You know, that's, that's part of it, yeah, but there has, also has to be something more behind it. You have to use words. One of the pastors that we were under in South Carolina in Jessica's church, he mentioned recently, do we think we're more perfect than Jesus? He, even he used words to proclaim the gospel. And in, in the verse in Romans where it says, how will they know unless someone preaches? This is sharing the gospel with words and there's an intentionality behind it. And you don't have to be a trained pastor or preacher to do this. If it means sitting down with someone and you see they're going through a hard time, being bold enough to say, how can I pray for you? Something as simple as that can mean a lot to someone. I know we are working in a culture where it is about 50% Christian and 50% Muslim. And even if we have Muslim neighbors, and it is amazing to see they want, they hunger for prayer. And they, you know, they're, as a religion, we all know, they're hostile to Christianity. But if you walk up to them as a Christian and you say, how can I pray for you? They will be ready to share. They are willing to accept that prayer. So how much more would your friends and family or people you run into here in America, in your own culture, Simply saying, how can I pray for you, shows you care. And that's, I think, a big part of sharing Christ with them, is, is he loved those around him. He prayed for those around him. So being bold enough to use those words. It's a small act of love that can really save so much. Amen. Well, on your faith journey, since you've been missionaries now and spent time in Kenya, what have you learned more about Jesus and the gospel as missionaries? Have you had new revelations through those roles? Sharing Christ and the gospel cross-culturally can be very humbling. We come from, you know, here in America, you get, you have a cult, we have a culture here. We understand that culture. We all share the same values at a deeper level. We communicate in the same way for the most part. Like if I said something, you'd understand what I'm saying. When you go cross-culturally, 
you have to set all of that aside and recognize that even a simple statement that we make may not translate the same way because we don't share the same underlying values and cultural experiences and that knowledge that just goes unsaid. And so approaching it in a much more humble way, breaking it down to the true basics, showing Christ's love, sharing his love with them and the gospel, and setting our own presumptions and our own, it has to be done this way, you kind of have to put that at the door and recognize that the gospel can be shared, it can be accepted, and it can grow in someone's heart in a way that might be different than what we're used to. Church in Africa, especially in the villages where the missionaries are on the ground working with people groups that, that there may only be a few believers, is often sitting under a tree for hours, simply discussing and talking about scripture and discipling and working. And they may sing, they may not, but that's church. If they, you know, if you walk into that church, we may not visually recognize it as church, but that's what it is. So it just looks different sometimes and being willing to kind of just humbly set aside our own, like, no, it has to be done this way and and come alongside them and foster that in a different way. That's great advice. Sometimes we have to get out of our own way, right? Get out of that script that's in our head and, and really let him move. Yeah. So since you've been in Kenya, what's, what's been the greatest sacrifice you've made to really follow that call that Jesus put on in your life? So I, I'm, you know, I'm reminded of Philippians 3.8 as, as kind of the spiritual answer, which says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as a rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. But in a, in a very real practical sense, the hardest part about living overseas is just being away from family and being able to share the everyday, the little moments with them. You know, and technology has made it easier, which is a huge blessing, but comfort is a real sacrifice. Everything just takes longer, things will go wrong, things break, and we make a lot of cultural mistakes. And so it's just an attitude of humility and grace to give yourself patience and flexibility. Well, on the flip side of that, what's been the greatest unexpected joy that you've had in following that call? We, as part of our missionary journey at the very beginning, as part of our training, we had to read a book that focused on, um, there's a lot of paradoxes in the Christian faith, and one of that is sacrifice and joy. And they go hand in hand. We experience joy often at its most, in the midst of sacrifice. And that joy comes from suffering sometimes. And so even when things go wrong, when there's loss, and there's a lot of loss in the missionary life, it may not be, and it often isn't the death of someone, but it's the loss of friendships, the loss of what's comfortable to us, there's a lot of transition in the missionary life. A lot of our coworkers, fellow missionaries, take home assignments, just like we have done this summer, at different times. So they're constantly coming and going and coming and going. And so for us, as well as for our kids, their friends are there. They make deep relationships with their friends, and then their friends are gone for a year or six months. Then we're the ones leaving. And so in the midst of all of that, capturing those moments of joy really taking hold of the times we do have with the people in our lives has been important and embracing that and then seeing the joy that God's, God brings. The moments when he, something really good happens, someone experiences Christ in a new way or we get to be a part of his ministry and see the work that's happening it makes it all worth it. Yeah. Is there anything you now know that you wish you would have known earlier? <laughs> I think we, we talked about this before answering this question. I think the biggest thing we've learned, like we knew it going in, but really experiencing at a much deeper level, is the power of Scripture and the power of prayer and how much of a difference that can make even in the day-to-day. 
We have an incredible partnership team anchoring us here in the U.S., family, friends, people have come on board to support us. And we use our Facebook page a lot to post um, in-the-moment prayer requests when things come up. And there have been many times where we have really felt the prayers. And we know that it's God working because of those praying behind us that have made things go smoothly or helped in situations um, that have been more difficult. And so just seeing God actively praying. And I mean, even those who proclaimed this morning on the stage how God answered those prayers in a very real way, just experiencing that in a much deeper level overseas is huge. I've heard uh, Sharon Malcolm is one of our missionaries, and she serves in villages in Peru. And I know she's talked about that very thing. You know, I think a lot of times we, even though we don't mean to, I still feel like, you know, we pray and we're praying with hope, and we're, but it's still almost like that wishful thinking. And, and, and really, like, there comes a time when your prayer life is, it's, it is that proclamation. Like, we're not just praying hope for, for Sharon's protection. We're proclaiming that protection. We're, and, and she has mentioned to us before where she's been on the river and there's been dangers presented and she can sense at specific times when people are praying for her and how that hand of protection is on her. So I've, I've definitely heard that echo before through, through others serving in, in similar roles. So thank you for that. A couple last questions and then we'll, we'll kind of do a rapid fire thing with some, well, I'll explain that section in, in a minute. What can the church in America learn from the church in Kenya? <clears throat> What I really love about the church in Kenya is just how simple it can be. Like Jessica mentioned, sitting under a tree and learning about Christ through the scriptures. It's not about the programs or the best, who has the best kids activities, but just simply learning and growing in Christ and as a community. And the African culture is strongly, strongly community-driven. And so their focus and their passion for Christ is incredible. You know, people often walk for hours and hours just to get to the church, and it's an all-day event. And so they're very intentional about their faith, which is just incredible to see. And uh, what's the most helpful thing American Christians here can do for their African brothers and sisters? So I think the, the most... A helpful thing is just to get involved by praying, first of all, and then also supporting a well-established and vetted organization. There are so many African Africans that are being trained up to be pastors and to be going out to their own people, but they often face a lot of challenges and hurdles. And so if you can find an organization who is supporting those pastors who is giving them training, whether whatever that looks like, or even transportation to be able to get to those hard-to-reach places. Uh, they're the ones that understand the culture a lot more than a Westerner might. But So just look for an organization who is vetted and well-established that supports local pastors and missions. Great. Well, thank you. Our dog's agreeing with us again. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I know we are, you know, time goes quickly. And so one of the things we want to do, and Ellie had come up with this idea, and I love this, was to actually, so our Sunday school a couple weeks ago watched a video about you and learned a little bit about you. And then we had them write down some questions as well. And so we'll kind of look at this as we'll kind of move through these quickly because I know we're, we are a little pressed on time, but some of these are really good spiritual questions and some, well, are just fun. So <laughs> we'll go to the experts here. And these are all from study school kids. I copied them down from their notes as best I could read them. So, but, <laughs> but I taught first grade for a lot of years, so I'm pretty good at deciphering their, their written language. So, all right, well, besides God telling you, is there anything else that made you decide to be a missionary? I love just working with my hands, being the very practical aspect of using my skills to serve the church. Great. And I say the same thing, a heart for teaching and just doing, using that with other kids who have a missionary background. So that's kind of where my heart was. What made you think of the idea to help Kenya? So we were looking for an organization that was specific to Africa. And so Africa Inland Mission AMAIR was based in Nairobi, Kenya. And so both of our hearts were for Africa. And so the organization just clicked with us. Okay. I was saying it wasn't... Our hearts weren't for Kenya specifically. It was more for Africa in general, and just the organization then led us there. But we've grown to love our Kenyan neighbors and brothers. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. And I am sorry if some of the questions might be a little redundant. We're going to record this section so that the kids can all watch this in Sunday school in, a, in another week or two. And so, you know, if you have to repeat one or two things, <laughs> you know, just bear with us. Now, you had said you'd been to, I think, was like, well, you know, Africa before, but had you been to Kenya in the past? I had. As when we lived in Southern Africa growing up, Campus Crusade also has ministry in Kenya. And I think at least twice we traveled to Kenya for national conferences. And so I experienced a little bit of Nairobi as a seven-year-old. And there's a giraffe center there that you can go to and you get up on a big platform and you can actually feed the giraffes. And I remember doing that when I was seven. And then our first year in Nairobi, we got the privilege of taking our own kids to do the same thing. Well, that would make you want to go back, (laughs) for sure. Will you help in any other countries? Yeah, we help all across East and Central Africa. So Kenya, Uganda, Sudan, the Congo, Central African Republic, lots and lots of countries we we work in. And this is a little more poignant. What do you think it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian is someone who has given their life to Christ, who has accepted his sacrifice on the cross, and recognized that he is the one who forgives us of our sins and gives us a way to heaven, and then takes that even further and walks with him and grows in their faith with him and desires to be Christ-like in their life. Almost feels like a test, doesn't it? <laughs> How do you define Christian? Okay, we'll, we'll receive that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with having your kids in another country, continent, culture, or as another put it, how do you survive raising kids in a new country? (laughs) For me, growing up as an MK, strangely enough, this was always something I wanted. I knew I wanted to raise my kids overseas. I wanted to give them that cross-cultural experience. In Kenya, in Africa, life is simpler. And in some ways, it's easier to raise kids there. It's simpler. And there's a lot more of the community feel. And in other ways, it's definitely more challenging and harder. We survive quite well, (laughs) but it does require doing things differently than we would do it here. And we've had to learn how to do that. Is it lonely? Do the kids have other kids to play with? Yeah, we live in a Kenyan neighborhood, and so there are tons of kids that are just running around on the streets all all day long, and so they've got lots of kids to play with. That's great. I will say it is a little bit lonelier. While we have Kenyan neighbors and they do play with some of them, the the lonely aspect comes in with the other missionary kids because we don't get quite we don't live quite as close to all of them, and it's a little harder to connect. And then with them with home assignments coming and going. So that is something you can be praying for us as a family through those transitions and with our kids. But we've chosen to put our son in school, which has helped a lot. So now he has classmates to make friends with too. And have you felt people are pretty accepting or do you feel like an outsider? Both. I'd say the Kenyan culture and the Kenyan people are very welcoming, very accepting, and for the most part are eager to learn about us. And when we approach it with a spirit of humility and desire to learn about them, they're very willing to share with us. Um, But at the same time, we are still outsiders. We look different. I'll teach you a Kenya Swahili word. We sometimes get this yelled at us as we walk down, depending on what area town we're in. But, hey, Mazungu. And it means, hey, white person. (laughs) But and, And Ken's favorite response is, wapi? Which means, where? (laughs) So we go, where's the white person? (laughs) I remember when I was a a missionary in China, I was called, and Dabitsa means big nose. Joe took that really. (laughs) So let's see. Okay, uh, a couple more here. What what is your town called? What's it like? So we live in the capital of Kenya, Nairobi. So it's uh, millions of people, super busy, crazy traffic, bustling, bustling, growing city. But it's also fairly modern. We've got shopping malls that are nicer than anything that I grew up with. So you can find pretty much anything you want, but some items you might be paying three or four times as much for. I think Daniel and I got to see some of those when we were over there. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Is the water different? Is it safe to drink? Do you have indoor plumbing? 
We live in the city, so there is some public services. We do have city water to our house. It works differently than here, though. It's not safe to drink, so we do have to run it through a pretty extensive filtration system to be able to drink and cook with it. But it's good enough for the toilets and the showers and stuff. But we get it into a... a, a ground-level tank, then we pump it up to a tank in our attic, and then that's what provides pressure for the house. And as long as the city water is flowing, because it's only flowing a couple of days a week and our tanks are full, we have water. (laughs) What's the food like, and what snacks do you eat? The the very popular food is ugali and sukumawiki. It's a maize meal, kind of like a porridge. But the, you can, we eat lots of different ethnicity foods. As far as snacks, a lot of peanuts and fruit and things like that. Yeah, a lot, we cook a lot from scratch at home. And you walk the grocery store aisles. And unlike here, all the aisles in the middle are filled with your basics. An entire aisle devoted to rice and beans and basic pasta. An entire aisle of all the different kinds of flours and maize meals you would need. A lot more fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. Kenya is located on the equator, so it has like three or four growing seasons. So we get a lot of fresh produce pretty regularly, more local. Humawiki is a, it's kind of like a kale, and so they cook it down with tomatoes and onions, and they serve that with the ugali. And sometimes they'll have meat. Often it's chicken called cuckoo, but it's not the chickens you think of here. These are scrawny little things that have been picking at the ground, and they're often on the side of the road. <laughs> and they just kind of pick through the dirt in the trash. So, <laughs> I remember hearing about ugali. Like, it expands, I think, when you eat it, and so that's why it's so popular, because it will fill you pretty quickly. Yep. And a lot of people, that is their main meal. Mm-hmm. They maybe get one good meal a day, and it's usually ugali. If they're lucky, some sukumawiki or vegetables. And if they're really lucky, they get some meat with it. A lot of beans. They do eat rice as well. And then they, they drink something called chai, which is not the chai you're used to here. It is black Kenyan tea steeped usually in a mixture of half water and half milk. And then it does have some spices added to it, often ginger. And because of the milk, it's much more filling. But for a lot of people, that's all they have at breakfast. And then that may be all they get a little bit later in the afternoon. And then one other meal. Do you go fishing? No. <laughs> no. But, but there, are, there are great places that Kenyans go fishing there. Okay, a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap this up. So, is it dangerous? And I really liked how these questions go together. How many dangerous situations have you been in? All right. Do you see lions? And are animals or people more dangerous there? That's a good question. We do see lions when we go visit the national parks. <laughs> They're not just running around the streets. But if you go up into the bush and into the more rural parts you might have to deal with lions occasionally visiting the villages. The people or animals more dangerous. I wouldn't get out of your car and walk around in a national park, so I'd probably say the animals there. But I I took a trip to the Congo, and I was staying overnight there, and it was dark, and I was walking back to my room, and I heard something large moving, and I took out my phone's flashlight, and I was like, it was a hippo, maybe 10 or 15 feet away. And those are extremely dangerous. So I turned around and booked it back. (laughs) Animals are definitely more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because it's not just the lions. It's the water buffalo. It's the hippos. Yeah, there's a lot of things there trying to get you. Hippos actually kill (laughs) more people than lions do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, last but not least, what's your favorite part of living in Africa? The people. That's why we're there. That's our heart, and that's definitely our favorite part. Is It can be the most frustrating part sometimes because of the cultural barriers and the language barriers, but it's also, once you get to know their hearts, the, the most enjoyable part. Excellent. Well, thank you both for being here today. We really appreciate you. Yeah, yeah please. Yep. Yeah. 
We can start giving the Sunday school a heads up that we are wrapping up here. They're probably, uh, I know we've gone a little long here. So let's worship team. I'll just close this out in prayer and then we will send everyone on their way. But if we could, could we have you guys stand here? And if we could all just extend our hands. That just happens to be a missionary prayer Sunday. So perfect timing. We're not going to pray for someone else. We're going to pray for these two right here. And so if everyone could just extend their hands in prayer, that would be a wonderful way to kind of close the service. So Lord, we just thank you for the call that you've put on Ken and Jessica's life. And Lord, how that's impacted them, their family, their children, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that your hand of protection be on them. We declare that. We proclaim that in the name of Jesus, that, that you protect them, not only physically and with good health, Lord, but financially, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you bring them financial prosperity, especially in this time that they're sharing in the states, that they get financial partners to really be able to meet the needs that they have each month to be able to do this ministry as a missionary to missionaries and being able to partner with so many agencies in service to to the promotion of your gospel, Lord God. So we, we thank you for what they're doing, Lord. I ask, Lord, for their children. May they grow to be a strong, Lord. And, and, and I pray, Lord, that the model that they are setting as someone who's laid down their lives for the service to your kingdom, Lord God, that that is just a testimony to them, Lord. And then you put that on the hearts of their children as well, Lord God. And Lord, I just thank you. And I, Lord, I, I just speak a blessing over their time in the States and their partner churches. Really just draw them in and build these relationships as we look to partner together to really promote your gospel and to make you known to all the corners of the earth, Lord. Lord, I also pray, Lord, that, that as we pray that, that, that our own hearts, and, and can we just all agree on this together, Lord, that, that and especially for those who might be here and have never heard this message and might want to pray this for the first time, Lord, we just declare that we're all sinners, Lord, that we need you, and we proclaim you as the only path to our forgiveness, Lord, to be reconciled before God, our Creator, and Lord, we lay down our lives in service to you, to make you known, to proclaim you to those around us, and may our field our mission field be right around us, Lord, as we walk out that door, Lord, to every person we meet. Can we just make you known to those around us, Lord God? And we just declare that in your name. So, Lord, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you bless every person here as they go. And and on this Sunday, Lord, may they be blessed. May they enjoy time with their families. And can they be listening and reminded of the, the calling that you've put on each of our lives? And we just declare that in your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.